Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's going on, automotive world? Welcome to another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping, and of course, I'll be your host once again for today's episode. You've got just me today. Um, I'm going to go over some key stuff. That's what we're going to call this one, the key stuff. Um, I have ventured into the world of keys over the last, I mean, I guess if you, when I bought the Dolphin and the Key Tool Max would have been when I really jumped into it. Um, and that would have been a couple of years ago. But I would also say like I've really got invested and into the key world within the last year. Um, I've learned the most. Maybe I should say that. I've learned the most within the last calendar year um, about keys. So one thing about this episode, I'm not intending this to be any sort of key class um, for a couple reasons. Number one, I'm far from the expert. There's people out there uh, who have a lot more knowledge and experience in this area of the automotive world than I do. Um, and also some of those individuals have put on classes with information that I've learned from, and I wouldn't in any way want to present this as stealing that sort of information and putting it out, you know, for free on a podcast. That's, that's not the goal here. Um, my goal for this episode here is just to share with everybody some of the things that I've learned along the way, uh, gearing up and in some cases getting my butt kicked, in some cases being successful uh, in this, the key side of things, right? You could say the locksmith side of things if you want. Um, I don't know. There's just so much overlap. Nowadays, uh, I feel like if you're going to be doing <laughs> the programming side of things, module replacement side of things, you're just going to have to figure out at least some of this key stuff. Even the diagnostic side of things, you're going to have to figure out some of this key stuff. And so again, we're calling this key stuff. Um, that's what I'm talking about. And again, just want to share my experience, what I've learned in the tooling that I have found very helpful along the way. So we're going to talk a lot about that. I'll reference some vehicles that I've fixed um, recently that I've used some of these skills or even some of the vehicles I've learned some of these things on, you know, what tools work when and what tools do you need? What skills do you need? What information do you need? to seek out. That's the sort of thing I want to be talking about today. So before we jump into the episode, I just wanted to quickly remind everyone once again, if you need any top Don scan tools, battery testers, thermal imagers, ADOS equipment, and hey, even key programmers, we'll talk about that a little bit today. And this is in no way a sales pitch because um, I'm going to tell you about other brands of tools that I use in order to do this. Um, but if you need any of that stuff uh, that Top Down offers, I am an authorized distributor and I've helped out a number of podcast listeners get their hands on some of this equipment. Um, and I can also help you out if you reach out to me via the email or Facebook Messenger. I'll get you the podcast hookup and be happy to answer any questions that you have on the tooling. But with that out of the way, let's jump in here. So the first thing I will say about the, the key side of things in the automotive world is I find it incredibly interesting. And maybe it's because it's an area where I've somewhat avoided for the majority of my career. Um, I remember early on when I was just a technician, you know, doing water pumps and ball joints and things like that, we would have a locksmith that would come to our shop when we'd have a key issue, right? And it's something we're like, oh, we, you know, we have to replace this lock cylinder and we can't rotate it or this, you know, the lock cylinder and the door doesn't work or something like that. And he would come by and he was actually a pretty cool guy. Um, actually, I think he still works in the area where I'm at, but he was a pretty cool guy because he would kind of share some of the information, you know, a lot of, uh, 
well, a lot of people in this industry, but a lot of people in the locksmith side of things specifically keep stuff really close to their chest. Um, and, and I understand it. I, I get why that is. But this guy was very open and helpful. And he would share some of the information. He would just kind of show me, oh, here's what I'm doing. And he would show me the lock cylinder and the wafers and things like that as he was rebuilding a lock cylinder or whatever, you know, was needed at that time. But it was all basic uh, mechanical stuff at that point. This was in the early 2000s. Um, of course, we had transponder keys, but just didn't run into it that often. It was usually a mechanical thing. Um, and that was my first experience. And what I took away from most of that was where I live in Minnesota that most of the issues I'm going to see is with bound up lock cylinders. And if it's a door or trunk lock that's exposed to the outside of the vehicle, it's usually because it's frozen because of corrosion getting in there and a little bit of WD-40 in the lock cylinder and uh, maybe uh, smacking it a couple times uh, with a rubber mallet, get everything freed up, and then it'll work again. And it solved a lot of vehicles that way. And of course, there's exceptions to that. Um, and it depends on what sector of the automotive field do you work you know, if you work in what issues you're going to see, but for me, that was it. Right. And okay, maybe we need a key programmed here or there. And that's about it. So for a super long time, I didn't really get into it much. And when we needed, we called somebody to come in and do it. Well, um, fast forward to in the last few years, of course, been doing the programming side of things. I now have the capability to program all these keys. And so of course I'm getting more calls, um, in reference to, Hey, we need this key added <clears throat> or we need a key added, like we don't have one and we need one for this vehicle, um, or we're replacing this module. And of course it needs two keys, uh, that's Ford, um, in specific, uh, a lot of times you need two keys for a Ford. And so creating a key just became a necessity, but then through, you know, talking to individuals, going to classes and just seeing the demand that's out there in the field, um, I've quickly come to realize that this is something that can be really profitable for you or your business, right? Even if you're just a shop, um, I know Fonzo does a lot of keys down in Red Wing and he's been doing really well for it. He mentioned that on the episode that he was on recently with me. Um, and I have found the same thing where keys have been very profitable for me. Now, there's a learning curve to it, and that's the thing. Of course, you got to make an investment in tooling, but that's anything, right? Anything in this business that you want to expand into, you're most likely going to have to make some type of investment in training slash tooling or both um, in order to be effective, be professional in that side of things. And, and keys is no exception to that. And I would say the learning curve can be kind of steep. Um, once you start figuring some of this stuff out, it's not terrible. Sometimes finding the information can be difficult. Um, but that's one of the things I wanted to just put out there right away is seek out some training for this stuff, right? You can figure out a lot on your own. And I have you know, fumbled through a number of things on my own, but there's a lot of information out there. There are courses and people that will put on classes and more and more we're seeing this on the automotive side of things, right? Skundrich and Fonslow both did a key class at Vision just, you know, last year in March. Um, that was never really a thing before on the auto side of things. Of course, you can seek out the locksmith side of things and they have uh, locksmith key classes that you can attend um, that's a possibility but there's also a lot of online stuff as well now you can find free stuff on youtube of course uh, you know that comes with well you got to filter through is this legitimate information or not where where and who am i getting this from um, but there's also paid training online for a lot of locksmith information as well. So there's stuff out there. And, and really to sum that portion of it up, I would just encourage you if you're interested in this stuff and you want to make the investment in the tooling, also make the investment in some training and some information. And it, it will um, speed up the process. It will change that learning curve for you quite a bit. Um, I know the training that I've attended is really put me leaps and bounds ahead of where I was prior. Um, so definitely encourage you to do that. Um, and this episode, again, is not intended to be exactly that. It's more of just sharing 
my journey here and what I've learned and maybe encouraging some other people to get going on that journey or uh, to move along with me. So I'll break this down into basically two different big sections. Um, One of those being cutting of the key and the other one, the programming of the key. Um, And there's a lot that goes into each. It's not just as simple as one or the other, but I do kind of consider uh, those two different skill sets and definitely two different sets of equipment that you're going to need, um, in order to do that. Right. Cause if you, we rewind, uh, you know, uh, 20, 30 years ago, all you needed to know was how to cut the key mechanically. How do we decode what's called the bidding in the key or the depths of the cuts, the shape of the key, and how do we cut the new one, and does it rotate the lock cylinder, right? And that was it. There was no transponders. There's just you need to turn that mechanical lock cylinder, uh, of course. And then now we've added transponder keys. I shouldn't say now. We've had transponder keys for a long time. Um, you know, 20 years plus. And of course, with a lot of vehicles now, even though you have a mechanical blade that works in the driver's door, it's all push button, passive entry, where you're not actually using that mechanical blade very often. Um, so we're, we're, we're almost kind of going away from that. But again, there's an emergency blade in order to get into a push button start vehicle. Uh, so that mechanical side still does stick around for actually cutting a blade. But now we're into the programming side of things, right? So that, that would be the other half of things is programming the key. How do we make sure that the transponder in that key is recognized by the vehicle? It knows, okay, this key belongs to this vehicle. I will unlock the doors or I will start the engine or um, even the remote features that are usually built into a key now, right? When this started, we had a key fob and we would program that separately from the actual ignition key. Well, now it's all built into one, right? We have the ignition key with the fob built into it. And so we have to program that, right? So again, cutting or decoding a key, the mechanical blade portion, and then programming. And there's a different skill set and a different tool set for each one of those. Although some of the tools do overlap. So the first thing that you're going to need to be able to do if you want to make a key for a vehicle is you're going to need to know what are the depths of the cut or the shape of the key. And there's a number of ways that you can do this, right? If you have an original key, you can essentially just copy it, right? And you can do this a number of ways too. You can sight read, which is literally just looking at the key and saying that cut is a one, that cut is a four, that cut is a three. And then you enter that into your key machine and you cut it. You can use the features built into the key cutting machines in order for the key to decode it, right? Um, I'm going to talk a lot about the X-Horse Dolphin because that's the tool that I use because it's battery powered and it's perfect for mobile. It has its limitations, but it's been really good for me. It has a probe that will go along the side of the key and decode it for you and say, okay, here are the cuts for this key. And then you can copy it from there. That's an option. There are optical readers that go along with this X-Horse tool where you... put the key down into a slot and this tool will actually have a visual readout of the cuts of this key and then they will put it onto the tool and then you can cut it from there. This is an option to kind of save on the probes, um, but also plastic keys, which we see sometimes as the emergency blade. Um, the Dolphin in particular um, can't do those uh, because of the, how the probe works in electrical conductivity doesn't work with the plastic keys, but um, this optical key reader works, right? So there's options. And we're going to get into the tooling here. I will say for this side of things, for cutting, uh, duplicating keys, uh, the X-Horse stuff that I have has been awesome. Again, I'll go back to what I was saying at the beginning. I'm far from an expert on this stuff. If you are a locksmith and you're listening to this, you're probably like, hey, I knew all this stuff like five years ago, or there's a much better way to do this stuff. I'm totally open to that. And reach out to me and tell me, I'd love to know. Um, I'm just sharing what has worked great for me. Um, And again, that X-Horse stuff has been great. The Dolphin, and then in combination with that, the Key Tool Max. Um, And I will be referencing that Key Tool Max quite a bit because this thing for 
I think it's like 300 bucks or so that you can get one of these key tool max and there's a new one. There's a key tool max pro, but I think it just combines the features of the OBD two dongle in with it. Either way, key tool max. This is a phenomenal tool. If you're going to be doing uh, key cutting and duplicating. Um, Now, of course you need the actual cutting machine and that's the, the dolphin that I'm using and there's other options for that. But in order to operate it, you either need an app on your phone, which I think you can do. I, have, I honestly haven't tried that version. Or you can use it with the Key Tool Max. So it'll Bluetooth to the cutting uh, machine. And again, this thing is outstanding. I have been so impressed with the capabilities and the helpfulness of the Key Tool Max in making keys. But I will say this too. I would own one of these things now that I know what it can do, even if I didn't cut keys, right? And that's where a big part of it is. That I think that's where most of the money has been made for me via this tool is by cutting keys. But it has some awesome diagnostic capabilities too. If you want to just test a key to see if it works, like the transponder function. Let's say you have an intermittent no start and you're wondering, and you know it's mobilizer related, right? You can test the key with this key tool max. It's super, super easy to do. Um, Very effective. It'll break down the transponder ideal. It'll give you the number of the chip that's in that key. Is this key and transponder in the key right for the vehicle that you're working on? It'll tell you if it's locked or unlocked it'll tell you if it's clonable and it will clone them for you as well um there's a lot that goes into that but you can just clone a key you can make that same transponder so that the car has no idea that the key you're using is different from another one essentially it's the same key and i don't always do that in every situation but that's an option and that's a possibility with this tool. But back to the diagnostic side of things, you can check those keys. You can read out those transponders. That is a huge ability. Again, I'd probably buy the tool just for that capability during diagnosis. There's been so many times over the years I just want to know, is this key working? Is this key right for the vehicle? Um, the other thing it can do diagnostic wise is read out the signal from the antenna that is communicating with said key right and i'm talking about a key with a mechanical blade that you put into the ignition and you rotate and as you rotate there's a halo that's usually connected or controlled by the immobilizer module that's going to send out the electromagnetic waves to excite the chip within the key and also receive the message from that key to say, hey, are you correct? And sometimes there's some back and forth communication between the transponder and this halo. But the key tool max, and there's other tools can do this, right? But the key tool max can tell you not only, hey, is this signal there? It'll tell you what chip is being picked up as the communication happens. So really what I'm going with here, because we started we started off ta- talking about cutting keys um, and how this is a really useful tool for that, but it has diagnostic capabilities too. But back to the cutting key portion, which ha- honestly has been the biggest learning curve portion of this to me because it's just outside of my wheelhouse, right? I didn't do this as a technician and I'm learning on it every day. I've been learning going to classes. The Key Tool Max, I really do feel like, or maybe I should just say X-Horse products in general, because I, again, I know they have a pro, they have, um, I don't know if it's called the Plus, it's like a tablet version of the Key Tool Max. I haven't used that myself, but the Key Tool Max really holds your hand through a lot of this stuff. So if you're just learning it, uh, you can figure out a lot through the tool. And the more I use it, the more features that I find are really, really helpful um, in, in order to cut a key, either from scratch or from a copy of a key. Um, one of the things I wanted to share with everybody, if you're using the Key Tool Max and you're not aware of this, and maybe you are, again, if you've been doing this for a while, you're probably aware of this stuff. But one of the coolest things I found about the Key Tool Max in regards to cutting a new key Once you get your bidding, which again is just the depths of the cut of the key, once you've got those cuts, if you go down to the bottom of the screen, there is a tab 
that says find bidding. Okay, so it's again, bottom of the screen, once you put your cuts in, you got to be connected to your cutting machine and connected to the internet for this. But once you do that, if you press that button, it is going to show you if the cuts you have correlate to a legitimate key cut code for the manufacturer that you've selected. Okay, so and that might not make any sense to you if you know nothing about keys, but the manufacturers have a key cut code for each vehicle. And you can buy these through Nastif um, with owner authorization and filling out a D1 form. That That's not what this is. This isn't bypassing that, right? It's not telling you this is the key cut code for this particular vehicle. What it's doing is, is after you've put in those numbers, it's going to tell you if this is legitimate code or not. Does it exist within the world of key cut codes? Now, I don't know if it has all of them in its archive. Um, it's the X-Horse archive that it's pulling off of. Maybe it doesn't. It probably doesn't. I haven't run into a vehicle where this is an issue yet, but where this is super helpful for me is if I'm doing an all keys lost and I don't necessarily have a key to copy, right? If I have a key to copy, even if it's worn out, I can figure it out pretty easily, right? I can, I could either sight read it or I can use the tool and we can copy that key. That's not a big deal. But what if I don't have a key at all, right? I'm going to use uh, something called a leashy um, that I've talked about before in order to decode the lock cylinder. And I'm going to put what I think based off of the leashy, the key cuts into this machine. And then I'm going to cut uh, I would recommend getting some test blades, which are just brass keys that the machine can cut and you can verify, okay, this turns the mechanical lock. Now I will cut the you know remote head key or the emergency blade, which I only have one or two of, <laughs> instead of cutting that incorrectly and then being kind of SOL on that front. But the, what this key tool max does is once I have my key cuts that I suspect are correct for this vehicle, I will go find bidding. And if it pops up with a key code, I know that, Hey, at least I've got, <laughs> I've got the cuts right for a key code that exists for this potential vehicle. And again, I'm not entering the VIN into this. I'm just telling it, okay, I've got a you know 2013 Chevy Malibu. Right. And I've decoded the lock cylinder to these cuts. And if it pops up with a key code, okay, I'm going to cut that key. Um, now, there's a lot that goes into this as well. Sometimes you don't have all of the bidding. Uh, it can still do this uh, with some level of accuracy. Uh, you may have to cut a few different test blades, but you can still get the correct key. But I found that super, super helpful as I've been learning Leashy. So, again, what's Leashy? Just a quick rundown. It is a lock picking slash decoding tool there's more than one there's one for every style of lock because there's different styles of keys but what this is going to do is going to allow you to pick the lock and then as the lock rotates it's going to allow you to decode the wafers inside of a lock cylinder right so the portion when you stick your key into the lock cylinder it's going to move these wafers and they're all different depths to correlate with the key that is supposed to go in there. Well, if you don't have a key, you're going to go in with this leashy tool. You're going to move all these wafers, rotate the lock cylinder, that's picking it, and then you're going to decode it with the tool. The tool will allow you to decipher the depths. Now, I'll say this about leashy because it's not an easy thing to do. Um, it, it definitely, definitely takes some practice. And this is one of the things, like I went to some training and learned quite a bit from it, but then I still had to practice a bunch on my own to get a good feel for this. Once I've practiced this, picking the locks actually became not that hard. I feel like I can pick most locks now. And I'm sure there's some oddball ones out there I haven't tried, but a lot of the locks I can pick very quickly decoding them however definitely depends on the car that i'm working on and i've found how worn out the lock cylinder i'm working on is right and this whole leashy thing it is it is definitely a finesse and it's a feel it's a feel thing right the, the best way i can describe it is for you know those of us who are in the automotive field and you've been working with nuts and bolts your whole career right threaded fasteners and you're reaching around the backside of a dash or an engine 
and you can't see the bolt or the threaded hole that's in your hand, but you have to get this bolt started. You have to get this bolt threaded or maybe unthreaded, whatever, but you can't see it, but you've got your fingers on it and you're threading this bolt into its threaded hole with no visual, but you can see what you're doing with your fingers because you've threaded in so many fasteners before you can close your eyes and imagine where those threads are as you're rotating that bolt. Right. A lot of us have experienced this and are able to do this on a regular basis because you can't always see where your hand is. Well, it's the same thing with Lishi to me is that there are wafers inside that lock cylinder that are moving and we're moving them with a precision tool right? But we can't see exactly what's happening. Um, but you have to feel it. And it is 100% a feel thing. So you really have to practice with this and you have to get the feel down, right? Because you can be way too aggressive with this. You can be too soft with this. You can just kind of plain read it wrong. Um, but the more you practice, the easier that it becomes or the more it makes sense, maybe I should say. Uh, and again, far from an expert, but I'm learning on all the time. And when I don't have any keys and I'm getting more and more calls for these, that's the, one of the routes that you can go is to leashy the lock cylinder. Again, NASTF is an option if you get owner authorization. And if you're going to be leashing a vehicle, of course, I'd recommend making sure confirming that the customer does actually own this vehicle, right? If you get a call from some random dude, like, hey, I lost all the keys from my car. Can you make me a key? Like, you want to make sure that he actually owns this vehicle before you start doing this stuff. Always, always, always do that. Um, I'm in no way advocating for people sidestepping the um, appropriate methods. And I don't want to see anybody assist in someone stealing a vehicle unwittingly, right? I don't think anybody that's listening to this show is going to go out and steal vehicles, but you could unwittingly assist someone in doing so, and we don't want to do that. So always make sure that the person that's getting a key in an all-keys-loss situation actually owns the vehicle. You can put the VIN into a uh, registry online to make sure that's not stolen. Uh, there's a lot of steps that you can take to protect yourself, and I would highly suggest doing that. But anyways... If you don't have a key, this is one route you can go. So anyways, that's pretty much it for cutting of the mechanical key. Uh, again, this isn't a key class, but uh, that's some of the things that I've learned along the way about actually making the key. Um, and I, I did mention it, but get some test blades for the popular keys that you're going to be cutting. Um, like, for instance, you know, GM is going to use one of maybe... You know, four styles for modern vehicles, you could buy those test blades and you can have a bag of all of them for rather inexpensive investment. Then you can cut a test key, make sure that it works before you actually cut the legit key, which may have a remote head connected to it and it's expensive, right? Um, so that's pretty much it for cutting of the key. Um, of course, the next part of this is programming of the key to the vehicle, right? And so this is where the transponder portion or the remote portion comes in. How, to, how do we make sure that the vehicle recognizes that key as its own and allows you to enter slash start the vehicle? Now, this is going to be wildly different depending on the vehicle that you're working on. And that's where some of the challenge comes into this is... There's so many differences, even in within one vehicle line. If you go through, you know, several years of production, things change, tools change, keys change. Heck, even on the same year of vehicle, you could have two different options. Um, it, it, there's a lot to figure out, a lot to know here um, as far as the programming side of things goes. But I'm going to go through some of the tooling that I've found very helpful on the programming side of things. And again, because there's so many cars, there's a lot of tools out there. Uh, we mentioned the Key Tool Max. It does have some capabilities outside of cutting of the key. It does have some programming capabilities as well. Um, I've been fairly successful with it, although it's probably not my first grab for the programming side of things. Um, they're adding things all the time and it does have some capabilities. You can definitely program some keys to the car uh, using the key tool max. Um, and depending on which version you have the OBD2 dongle that comes with it. I did want to mention here too, that Autel has the 
KM100, uh, I believe the acronym is, um, but it's what I feel like is a very, very close copy of the Keytool Max, <laughs> um, almost eerily similar to the Keytool Max as far as what it's able to do. Um, and so a lot of the things I was talking about as far as reading chips, uh, reading the antenna for the immobilizer, programming keys, uh, it can do a lot of the v- same things as the Q2 Max does, and it's shaped the same, and I think it's a little bit more expensive on the price. But um, again, just strangely similar, and it came out after the Key 2 Max did. So, of course, it's what these companies do, especially stuff from China. You know, they might be uh, just stealing right from each other to make the next tool. But I do have this tool, and the one thing uh, that this can do that I've been pretty impressed with so far is the ability to program uh, Autel Universal Remote or Proc style keys. Um, so for push button start vehicles, uh, you have a prox key that you would just keep in your pocket or your wallet or your purse or whatever. And then you get, jump in the vehicle and, you know, press, press the start button or on the outside of the vehicle to unlock, you press the button on the handle. Um, right. And so every manufacturer has their own style of smart key. Well, Autel's come out with some universal smart keys and you can use this tool. You can also use other Autel tools too which I was a little bummed out about because I bought that, uh, that KM100 thinking that was the tool that was going to be uh, the programmer for these universal remotes. Well, it turns out they added it to the 608, which I already had. But anyways, uh, it is a handy little tool. If you're looking for a key tool and you like Autel stuff, um, again, it's been very functional for me. Um, and I, I like all the features that it has. So no complaints on it. It works well. Um, if you're going to be doing Autel Universal Remotes, they even have a, uh, a smart watch. So you can buy this watch from Autel and you can program that in as the smart key or prox key for your vehicle. Haven't tried it, but I saw that they had one available. So I thought that was kind of cool. Building off the Autel slash programming side of things, the IM608. Now I've talked about this thing before. I have been so impressed with what this thing can do. Um, now, of course, if we're just talking keys, the 508 will probably do everything that I'm talking about here. Um, but the 608 has the diagnostic capabilities as well. Um, I'd suggest I'd suggest going that route. One thing that comes to mind. This is just one example. I had a Honda Odyssey the other day, which I was using the Autel IM608, and I went in through the immobilizer side of the tool, which is where you would go to program keys to a vehicle. Well, wouldn't program these keys, wouldn't program these keys. I switched over the diagnostic side of the tool, and it worked. It programmed them in. And so I guess it was just nice to have that built into the tool. I didn't have to switch tools up. Uh, it would have been nice if it worked on the immobilizer side, in case anybody from Autel is listening. But either way, um, I like having a Diag side built into that tool. Um, you know, I can go in and I can just clear codes from the whole system, like every single module in the car once I'm done doing what I'm doing. Um, that's nice. And it, it works as an Autel scan tool, right? Everything that if you use Autel scan tools, you have it built in. Uh, well, I shouldn't say everything. The interface is different than like the 909 or the 919. They don't have the topology map um, for that. But this isn't really about the diagnostic capabilities of the tool. The key and programming side of this thing has been outstanding. Um, they have really ramped up the abilities of the immobilizer side of the tool. And just like I mentioned with the Key Tool Max, I really do feel like this thing kind of holds your hand. Um, And, you know, some people have made the argument almost too much for people who maybe don't necessarily have business being in the key side of things or they're not charging enough. So they're lowering, you know, the overall value of what we do there. It does really hold your hand through a lot of the processes, you know, but if you're unfamiliar with a certain vehicle, it is very handy uh, for programming keys to a vehicle. Uh, they have guided functions for a lot of stuff um, and adding keys or doing all keys lost to a lot of vehicles. 
in a number of cases is very simple using this tool. Now, not all of them. There are certain vehicles where it jumps from a guided function, press buttons to extremely advanced in order to add keys or to do it all keys lost on a particular vehicle really depends on the car, right? Um, my mind's working towards European here when I start talking about this, because the domestic stuff is fairly easy uh, to do keys on. But if we get into the European side of things, that can change in a hurry. But once again, the 608 tool, I have been extremely impressed on its capabilities here. Now, when you jump into this side of the things, a lot of what you get into is board level and EEPROM style work, right? So I'm going onto the chips on particular boards, a lot of times the immobilizer module for a vehicle, and I'm either taking the information from a key that I want to add to the vehicle and I'm putting it onto a board, or in some cases, I'm taking information from a board and adding it to a key. Right. I'm basically seeing, okay, what keys do you like? Do you have programmed in already? Okay, I'm going to program that to a key. Um, and uh, one of the things I probably should have mentioned, um, but X Horse again has what's called a super chip. Um, and the super chip is a little transponder that would go inside of a key. And you can program this as multiple styles or types of keys or transponders, right? So it could work in a Honda or it could work in a Ford or it could work in a Chevy or it could work in a Jaguar, right? Um, not everything. There's limitations, of course, but it is almost a universal transponder which you can program into a key. Again, all depends on what you're working on and what you're trying to accomplish, um, but that would be uh, one example there. But back to the Autel, the ability to connect to processors and EEPROM devices on a circuit board has really exceeded my expectations for this tool. There are certain jobs that I've taken on and I wanted to see, hey, can the Autel do it? And it can, right? Now, some that it can't. I've run into some stuff that it's not able to do and I've ran up against roadblocks. But for the number of jobs that I've attempted where we're getting into this board level stuff and that it's actually able to do has really blown me away. And in some cases, it's where people say, no, the hotel doesn't work for that. Okay, well, I'm just going to, I want to try it. Sometimes I just want to try, not like to prove you wrong, but just to see, okay, where is the roadblock? Why can't it do this? Um, Maybe I don't have another option. (laughs) And that's been the case sometimes. Like, well, you said I can't do it, but I don't really have another option for this particular job. I'm just going to try it. And again, it's impressed the hell out of me on what it can do for that side of things, right? Again, super easy on programming keys, makes life very, very simple, hitting buttons, following directions. But then once it jumps into the advanced stuff, man, it's got a lot of really cool stuff. So I use the 608 all the time um, for key stuff. It probably, if for programming keys, it's probably my first grab. Not the only one, but it's definitely my first grab. Um, the other one that I use quite often uh, for key programming is the Top Don Ninja. Uh, this thing's priced uh, very well, um, and it does a very good job of programming keys. Um, I had one the other day where it was an older Honda. I want to say it's like a 99 or 2000, right? It was a pretty old Honda, but it had a transponder key. And I noticed that the key was aftermarket for this vehicle that they were that needed to be registered to the vehicle. And when I did it through Autel, Autel said right on the screen that it is unable to register ILCO keys. That You need an ILCO key duplicator is what it said on the screen on the Autel. So at least it let me know. But and of course, on the key, on the key head, the plastic part, it said ILCO. I tried it. It didn't work. Okay. I was like, well, I don't have an ILCO key duplicator. So I'm going to go try the Top Don. Tried the Top Don Ninja, went through, worked fine, right? And really what I'm going with there is it's good to have multiple tools if you're going to be doing this stuff. Aftermarket, multiple brands have multiple tools because sometimes one doesn't get the job done, but the other one will. Um, It is really, really helpful to have multiple tools at your disposal if you're going to be doing this stuff. Top Don does also have a programmer 
that is an add-on to some of their scan tools. Uh, supposed to work really well with the uh, Phoenix Smart. Uh, it's the T Ninja Box. I just got one of these things recently. I haven't even used it yet, uh, but I've heard some really good stuff about this. Uh, I know Mike Christofferson was talking about this on his Facebook page, where that combined with the top-down smart was pretty awesome for the key and immobilizer side of things and programming, right? So this will, might rival, uh, you know, the Autel capabilities. I don't know. I'll have to try that out. I can't say for sure yet until I mess around with it some. But again, one of those things you want to get into this, uh, have multiple options. If you're going to rely on just one and you're going to do multiple car lines, it's going to be tough. You're going to run into obstacles. You're going to run into roadblocks. And if you want to be that shop with a solution, um, I would suggest having multiple tools to jump into this and then attend some training as well. All right, with the tooling out of the way, I'm going to do one real quick case study with you. It's not anything groundbreaking, but just an example where using uh, some of these key tools uh, got me through a job relatively quickly. All right, so 2004 Acura MDX. I know it's an older vehicle. It's not a push button mechanical blade style. Shop said intermittently this thing will not start. And of course, I try not to take on intermittents, but I asked them, I was like, well, how often does it happen? They said about every three to five key cycles and every key three to five key cycles, this thing acts up. Okay, that I'm okay with. If I can get it to happen in a reasonable amount of time, I'm cool. But what they said it would do is it would go into a mobilizer state. They recognize that Hondas forever have a green key on the dash and if that thing's blinking at you when you're trying to start it and it's not starting it's in an immobilizer state for one reason or another they're not sure why they want me to come look at this thing all right so i come out verify give it a few key cycles and it does start a couple times and then it won't start and it's not an exact pattern sometimes it'll start you know, five times in a row. And then other times it'll only start one time and then it will fail to start, but consistently you run into the green light blinking on the dash. Okay. So where am I going to go for this? Of course, code scan for the vehicle. Um, didn't have any useful codes that really pointed me towards anything. I didn't already know, you know, the fact that the vehicle's in an immobilized state based on the blinking light. But what I was able to do here was go into the immobilizer, and I was using the Autel for this. I went into the immobilizer, and I went into the special functions of the immobilizer, and it actually will give you a readout of the faults as pertaining to why the vehicle is immobilized. And that's super, super helpful. I want to know exactly why is this thing in an immobilized state? Well, it broke it down for me using the Autel in the days stream here. And I was in the diagnostic side of things in order to achieve this, uh, not the immobilizer. So if you've never used the Autel IM series, when you go to the main screen, you have diagnostic, which is, I guess, just using your traditional Autel tool. But then you can enter the immobilizer side with a separate button. And that's going to go to separate functions that might not be available to you in diagnostic, but once you're in a mobilizer, there might be stuff that you want to do that's only available in diagnostic side. So sometimes you got to bounce between the two, um, which it'd be nice if there was an easier way to do that. There's not. You have to exit out and go back in. But anyways, long story short, I go in, I look to see why is the vehicle immobilized. It says no communication with key. When this thing wouldn't start, it's not able to come with the key. Okay, well, I have very good direction here, and now I can start testing stuff. This is when I grabbed out my key tool max and I just want to test the key. Does the key work? And it does. Key reads, transponder reads in the vehicle. Obviously, the transponder is the right type and right for the vehicle because it starts it occasionally, but then not at other times. So I have to get this into a state where it doesn't start. Easy enough to do cycle the key a few times, start, start, start. Oh, now it doesn't start. Let's test it right here, right now. And you can maneuver the tool to get over the key head even while it's in the ignition and the key read every single time. I never had a failure reading the transponder in this key head, even when it wouldn't start. Okay. So now we're looking at the immobilizer module itself. So the other function, like I mentioned with the key tool max is you can check the antenna output from the immobilizer, 
right? And so the immobilizer module is up on the column and it has a protruding plastic halo that goes around the lock cylinder. So it's all kind of one unit, the halo, the immobilizer module, it's all there behind the cover for the column, but it's right there over the ignition uh, lock cylinder. And so really what I want to do is hold up the key tool max, go into the function to check the halo and rotate the key. Now, every time you cycle the key, that halo should be activated, even if you don't start it, but you can try starting it as well. And you should see a response from the tool. And it not only will tell you, hey, there's antenna activation, it'll beep, but it'll also even show you the key ID that way. So say that it, the key responded in turn, which is again, super, super helpful to have that. Uh, the Autel KM100 will do this as well. Now, when I did this, I was not picking up a signal from this antenna. Um, but I was not picking up a signal at any time that I rotated the key, even when the vehicle started, which didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I was wondering, is my tool not functioning correctly? Because obviously, if the vehicle starts, it has to have a functioning antenna in order to communicate the security information from the key to the vehicle. All right, let's try another tool. Tried my uh, Autel tool. Again, nothing. Now I've got two tools that tell me there's no halo activation, even when the vehicle starts. Well, that's kind of weird. I have a third tool. It is a red ring that's, that fits over a, a lock cylinder and has a little red LED that lights up if the antenna activates. Couldn't get this thing to go either. I'm like, oh, this is really weird. Again, I mean, I believe we have a problem and obviously I see that there's an issue, but it doesn't make sense that the vehicle actually starts. Like, well, okay, well, I need to get a visual confirmation of this thing. Um, and I did check. I can communicate with this immobilizer module even when the vehicle doesn't start. So, so it just nothing's, something's not jiving here, but I'm just going to pull the, the shell off of this column and do a visual inspection and see what's going on here. Cause something, something's weird. Something doesn't quite make sense, but I know, I know the direction that I'm headed and what components I need to look at. And heck, sometimes a visual confirmation gets you there, gets you the answer. It got me further in this case. Once I pulled that shell, I saw that the mobilizer module was not plugged in. So it was sitting there, it had a module sitting over there with the halo where the key went into, but it wasn't plugged in. And there was no plug-in to be found anywhere near the immobilizer module. It wasn't hanging down. I didn't see anything. I was like, okay, well, something, something's definitely goofy here. I did a little bit more investigating underneath the dash because I'm like, well, it's got to be something somewhere, right, in order for this thing to start. Well, down taped to the column, further down underneath the dash, I saw another immobilizer module just hanging there. And the reason I spotted it is because there was a green connector. It's pretty easy to spot that goes into this immobilizer module. And they had it there and they had a key head taped to the inside of this immobilizer module. Okay. All right. So we're, at least we're getting somewhere. Now, this is the point where I stopped. I'm like, I got to talk. I got to go talk to this shop and see what they know about this. Cause obviously this is strange. Why would you have that set up on this car? Um, they didn't know anything, of course. That's just the way it goes. You know, they they were kind of handed this the same way I was. All right. Well, why would someone do this, right? Um, if that immobilizer module worked for the vehicle, why didn't you just put it on the car? Uh, maybe the column was replaced and they didn't have any capability to do any programming. And so this was their method to get the vehicle to work. I don't, I don't know. Don't really care. I guess we'll, we'll figure this out. Uh, one thing I didn't think of until I was making the notes for this episode was I should have tried the key in the door and that would have given me the answer of a column swap or not. But uh, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, I guess. So my thought was, well, maybe I'll just plug in the existing theft deterrent module that's up on the column and try to program in the existing key. I did try that and it didn't work. It wouldn't let me program this key in. So what I don't know is whether the module, the immobilizer module that was up bolted to the column was correct for the vehicle or even right for the vehicle. Um, and heck, even the key too, maybe the key wasn't correct. I, I don't know that for sure. So what I'm going to do is go back to my original issue here 
and figure out exactly what's wrong so I can give them a fix. Like, do they need a module um, installed and a new key made? Do they just need a new key made? What's preventing this from starting? That's really my question here so that I can give them a good answer. I know I can fix this thing. I just, I want to tell them exactly why it's not starting and then tell them what to do in order to fix it. So I go down to this module that has the uh, key head just electrically taped with electrical tape to its halo so that when you turn the key up at the column, it sees the key is present every single time. And I want to know what's preventing this thing from starting. I found the Autel was actually better for this in order to determine what was going on because I got my halo signal once I placed the Autel tool close to this immobilizer module that was taped down on the column and I would cycle the key. And every third or fourth or fifth cycle, I would get a improper response between the halo and the key and you could tell it it was a pattern when the when you cycle the key and you could watch on the dash for the immobilizer light when it would go out you would see a specific pattern that it showed you on the autel tool and then it would change every single time that you'd cycle the key and then the green light would blink it's in immobilizer mode you could see that every single time And so what I did was I untaped the key head from where they had it because they just kind of had it taped to the side of this thing. And I moved this key head around and it took some playing around to do. And what I actually ended up doing was I made a super chip, uh, which was just cloning of this plastic key head. And I moved this super chip around and I was able to get it into a spot without a whole lot of work. I was able to get into a spot that every single time I cycled this key, it registered it. So what I know is, is that that immobilizer module is working. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put that immobilizer module up where it's supposed to be on the column. And then I'm going to program in the existing key, which again, I don't know if the key is right for the vehicle. As it turns out, it was, it was the correct key for the vehicle. And we got this thing going. So pretty easy. Um, Again, use the Autel in order to program the key, but there's lots of other ones that'll do it as well. So nothing crazy there. Um, Just an example of where being able to, you know, read the transponder in the key, measure the output from the halo, program or at least attempt to program keys is all really valuable in a diagnostic setting, trying to figure out what's wrong with a vehicle. If you don't have any of that stuff, well, you, what are you going to do? How are you going to proceed through that problem? So I'd encourage anybody to add it. It's great for your diagnostic capabilities, but it's also very profitable, just the fact of adding keys. So many people only have one key for their vehicle. That's one thing I've really found. So many people only have one key for the vehicle and it's an easy, easy sell to get them a second key when you tell them it's four, five, six hundred dollars for an all keys loss, depending on the, the make and model. Right. So anyways, that's my key stuff. Uh, hopefully you learned something from that or at least encouraged you to seek some more of this information out. Other than that, I want to thank everybody for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. But let's get out there, start fixing the world, one car at a time.